Good evening, brethren. We're going to be in Psalm 5 this evening. Psalm 5. The title of this psalm is To the Chief Musician Upon Nehiloth. And that word is believed to be a flute-like instrument, although some say this might be a well-known melody for, to, to sing this psalm to. And it's not necessarily known. Some of these words in the titles are not necessarily known by us. That It, it testifies to how ancient these psalms are, how long ago they were written, and how the language has changed. It is a psalm of David, and King David is an eminent type of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that David wrote many of the psalms, not all, but many of the psalms. And we know, we're familiar with some psalms as being written in the voice of Christ himself. We see this especially when we see his cries as the mediator from the cross. We know this is a messianic psalm, but the reality is they're all messianic psalms. They're all in the voice of Christ. We don't limit it to just a few, just to those well-known psalms, but we recognize his voice in all the psalms. And this is a psalm of prayer. It's rather instructive to us in how we are to pray to the Lord, or especially how we are led in the spirit of prayer to come to our God. Now, thankfully, the prayers of believers are sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our sanctification, and he takes our feeble words. He takes even our careless words. And he's able to form that prayer to supplicate the Father on our behalf. And he's our faithful Lord, our faithful high priest. And so in this prayer, in this psalm, we see how that prayer is formed in us by our high priest, how our high priest leads his sheep, his people, in prayer. And that's a comfort. That's a comfort to me. And I believe that's a comfort to you, my brethren, to know that your high priest loves you and takes your words and your meditations and the thoughts of your heart and he brings them before our faithful God our faithful Savior. We read in Hebrews 10, I'll read it for you, 19 through 22, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's gone before us. He's opened the door. He's led the way. And he 
leads us and teaches us and brings us into the presence of our God and teaches us how to pray and teaches us how to come to the Father and why, why we are able to come to the Father. So direct your eye to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one by whom we see. He's the one in whom we have entrance into heaven. Right? When John, the Apostle John, was writing Revelation in chapter 4, he said, I looked, and behold, a door opened in heaven. And that door is Christ. And he opened the door and brings his people into heaven. And then John said, I, the first voice I heard, the first voice you and I hear is Christ's voice. That's the first voice that we hear, and we live. We rise and live. And that voice said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And so the Lord does that. He brings us. He raises us up. He sanctifies his people and leads us into the presence of our God. Now, concerning prayer, the disciples one time asked Christ, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And that's a blessed thing to learn. Lord, we need to be taught of you. We need to be taught of you, and we need to be taught of you how to pray. Because we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to enter into the presence of our God. A lot of people think they do it. A lot of people try to do it. A lot of people come through very religious means, and they think that is how to pray to God, but we don't know how to pray to God. We don't know how to enter into the presence of God by ourselves. We're broken. Our hearts are broken by nature. Our thoughts are broken by nature. Our ways are corrupt before the true and living God. We need a high priest. We need a Savior. Spurgeon said on this psalm, he said, Let us cultivate the spirit of prayer which is even better than the habit of prayer. And I was thinking on that, and I realized you know, most of us lack the discipline even for a habit of prayer. But if we are in the habit of prayer, we see our need for the Spirit. We need that Spirit-led prayer, because even in our habits, even in our good, quote-unquote, good habits, we can become dry and vacant and unattached and distant from from what we're even saying. But we're thankful for Christ. What a mercy. What a mercy. We have Christ. To know our need of God's grace, to know that He's our Savior, to know that He is the one that leads us into the presence of our God. He knows what He's doing. He knows how to pray to the Father. It says... In another place in Hebrews, that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, he was heard. He was heard in that he feared. And because he was heard, you who come to the Father in Jesus Christ, you are heard by the Father. You're heard by the Father. So, 
Think with me for a moment in this hour what a wonderful privilege we have to pray to holy God who created the heaven and the earth, who takes thought of us. We're just a, a pinch of dust put together. We're a speck of dust on a speck of a dust of a planet in the infinite universe as we understand it. We're just a small, tiny thing. And I quoted this psalm on Sunday from this psalm, but I'll just quote it again, adding verse 3. David said, When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou dost take thought or thou dost visitest him. Our God hears our prayers. So, the God who opened the door in heaven, for a way for us to approach unto God, has brought us near to our God, and we may speak to him, our king, and make our requests known to him. Paul said to the Philippians, be careful for nothing, meaning don't carry your burden around. We do that. We do that. Don't carry your burden around. Don't be full of care for no reason. <laughs> Go to the Lord in prayer. Go to the Lord in prayer. You're not impressing anyone by carrying that burden, least of all the Lord. But in everything, Paul said, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, right? That peace that rules in your heart that remains with you because you've net left that burden with the Lord. You've, you've cast all your care upon him for he careth for you. And so all that's left is peace, trusting and knowing my God has heard my prayer and he'll do what is right. He'll do what is right. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. All right, so beginning in verse 1, Psalm 5, verse 1. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Now here's something that we would skip over pretty easily. We see our words and our meditation are different things. They're different things. Our words are often expressive of what's in our heart. They they put a form, they help us to say what's in our heart, it helps us to get that out so others know what we're thinking. Sometimes there's a disconnect, right? Sometimes we say one thing and we're feeling another. How are you today? I'm fine and we're not fine. We do that a lot. <laughs> we know that. But oftentimes our words do help give expression to what we're feeling and what we're thinking, and what's troubling us, or what we're just dealing with at that time. And our words give expression to it. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing when we pray, and our words are true and sincere and not contrived, but they just flow out of us. And they flow, and, and, and they come, and, and, and we praise the Lord, and we give Him thanks, and we lay our cares before Him sincerely and truly. And I think from the scriptures, when you read it, it seems that most prayed out loud. Most spoke out loud in their prayers with spoken words. But the Lord does show us that he's able to hear the thoughts of your heart. He's able to hear your prayers that are spoken 
even in silence, that which we meditate upon. In fact, in 1 Samuel 1.13, regarding Hannah, who had no child and was burdened by that fact that she had no child, she took that care to the Lord. She had meditated on that for a long time, I'm sure. And she went up to Jerusalem, or up to Shiloh, where the temple was, and she laid her care before the Lord. But it says that she spake in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. But the Lord heard her prayer, and he answered her prayer. So the Lord knows our thoughts. He, he sees the secrets of our hearts. He knows what's in our heart, what's in our mind, what's in our thoughts. He knows all things, and nothing is hid from the Lord. He told Isaiah, this is, this is, well, he told Isaiah, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And so he knows the meditations of your heart. And he knows them because your God is the one that stirs you up. He stirs your heart. He brings you into the issues of life according to purpose. And he brings those meditations into your heart and causes you to think upon these things and think upon them in the light of your God to consider him, to consider who you are, who he is, and your need of him. He bring, He gives you these meditations of the heart and, and he causes us, he moves us according to his purpose that we would cry out to him and pray to him concerning his kingdom. He brings us to pray. He brings us to feel that need, to feel that burden, and, and to pray to the Lord. And, and I would say, I would encourage you that in those hours and days when you are burdened to pray, pray. Even if you can't kneel down, pray. Raise up a prayer to the Lord. You don't even have to say it out loud, but be in prayer always. Always, Paul said, always be in prayer. Always be mindful of, of what's going on and the needs of, of others. And, and remember them. Be mindful of that. Always be, be praying. Even if you can't st stop or stoop to meditate anymore on it, just pray as you're walking, wherever you are. But there's times when we're not able to express what the meditation is in our heart. There's times when we're not able to form even words about it, but our heart overflows. And David says it this way in verse 2, Hearken unto the voice of my cry. And in the next psalm, Psalm 6, verse 8, David said, he calls it the, the voice of my weeping. There are times when we cry and weep before the Lord, when we're so full, our hearts are so full of emotion or thoughts or, or whatever it is, our hearts become full and we cry. We cry before the Lord because we can't express what's in our heart. But David even addresses this. He said, Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? The Lord knows all our tears. He, can, he, he knows our tears. In fact, he says in that day, that resurrection day, when we stand before him, he'll wipe every tear from our eye. And there will be no more need to cry. There will be no more tears. There, there will be no more sorrow because 
Hope and faith will become sight, and all that remains is love. And the peace of God and the joy of God and the fellowship of our God with the saints in light. But whether we cry aloud or we weep in silence, our God hears our cry. David adds, when I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. God is for me. And that's a comfort. I want you to know your God is for you. And the way we know that God is for us is because he's revealed faith in our hearts that believes the Lord Jesus Christ is all my righteousness, all my acceptance with God. You that are that, that whom the Lord knows and that God is for, he's given to you, your hope is the Lord Jesus Christ alone. You're not looking to your works. You're not looking to the good works or the evil works. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe Him. He is the salvation whom the Father hath sent to save His people from their sins. And all those who believe the Son, who have the Son, have life. And God is for them. He's for them. The reason is because Christ has reconciled us to our Heavenly Father. He's given to us all the covenant blessings which He established for us with His own blood. He laid down His life to obtain life for you, for His people. Likewise, He gives us the Spirit, and likewise the Spirit help also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so we see here the form of prayer is communicated through different ways, through words, meditation, through cries and and weeping, It comes in different forms, but all of them are sanctified of Christ. He's the one that carries these these prayers to his Father. He's the one that supplicates the Father and intercedes for his children. And we're heard by our God for Christ's sake. Give ear to my words. And hear, hear hear Christ saying these words. Hear, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. And our Savior here, what he's doing is he's teaching us how we are to come to him, our God and our Savior, our King. He's teaching us how to approach himself, Jehovah God, the Lord who created us, the Lord who saved us, the Lord who who supplies all our need. He's teaching us how to approach unto Him. He rules and He reigns over us and in us in covenant blessings established in His blood. My King, my God, unto Thee will I pray. Now, we've noted this before. We don't, we're not familiar with what it is to serve a King. We haven't This country hasn't had a king for many years, according to the flesh. And 
and even now, the kings in the earth, I don't know how much they're like kings of old. They have parliaments and other people that, that lead and make laws for them, but, but back in the day, you would go to a king, you would go into his court when it was open, and you would plead your case if you had some need for judgment, if you needed him to decide a matter, and you would supplicate him for your needs. And you would approach if he allowed you to approach, and, and you prayed for judgment. <laughs> you sought for a righteous judgment from the king. And if you had an evil king, you might get an evil judgment. But thanks be to God that he is good and right and righteous and holy, and he does what is right with perfect wisdom, perfect understanding, perfect knowledge, according to his perfect will and purpose with perfect power ruling over all there's nowhere that we can go that God's dominion is, does not extend to he's lord over all things everything in businesses in schools in locations wherever it is the lord is the true and living god there he's the true and living god now if we could trouble god and we can, if we could trouble him, I would say the Lord delights to, to hear from his people. We're not going to trouble the Lord by coming to him and laying our cares, even each day, laying our cares until the Lord answers those prayers. But if we could trouble him, would it not be more troubling if we didn't come to the Lord, if we didn't come to him and pray to him? and lay these things, wouldn't that be the more troubling thing or the more concerning thing if we didn't come to him and kept these things to ourselves and handled these things our own way according to the flesh? The Lord in mercy bring, breaks us of that. He brings us to see our need of him. And that's why a lot of times trouble comes to stop us, to prevent us from going on in our mad dash in the flesh, in this world, and to bring us to an end in ourselves to see Lord, I need you. I need your grace. I need your salvation. Lord, help me. Save me, Lord. And he does that for his people. And so in verse 3, Psalm 5, 3, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. You know, it's for Christ's sake that we're not consumed. <laughs> for Christ's sake that, that we're not consumed. But whenever I read this verse, I can't help but hear it spoken by Christ or hear it in the voice of my Savior who prays for me, who goes to the presence of the Father and prays for his children. He goes before us and before our Father into his presence and with our request, saying, my voice Shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. What it's saying there is this is the voice of him who rose from the dead. This is the voice of him who satisfied the will of the Father perfectly for his people to reconcile his people to the Father. His is the voice of that new morning of the resurrection day whose voice the Father hears, whose voice the Father loves and receives. Let me show you this over in Psalm 110. We were there earlier, Psalm 110. 
And I just want to read first verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. And he says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Our God does that for us in the day of salvation at the first, and he does it in every hour after that. As he moves us to, to meditate in our hearts, brings thoughts to our hearts of, of our God, of our need, of the kingdom. He brings these things to us, to, to our minds, so that in everything, God makes us willing in the day of his power. But there's one who sanctifies and justifies his people. Look at the rest of verse 3. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. When we come to supplicate our God, when we come before our God to pray to him, it's Christ whose voice he hears. It's Christ who he looks upon and sees his wounds. It's Christ who he looks upon and, and loves and receives us for Christ's sake. Christ is the one who rose from the dead, and his people are heard because he intercedes for us with the Father. The Lord, verse 4, hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He is our eternal high priest. He is our high priest who who leads us into the presence of God. He's our high priest who instructs us how to pray, what we should pray for. He's the high priest who goes before us, having made a sacrifice for us, and he who himself is the sacrifice for us, by whom we are made righteous and justified by our God. And so I want to show you verse 7, but before I read verse 7, Back in verse 3, it said, In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. And I was thinking of that when I, when I read this psalm earlier today, and, and I saw that in verse 7, where it says, He shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he lift up the head. And what that's saying to us is because Christ went forth willingly to do that work of salvation, to accomplish our redemption, to redeem and to justify his people, the Father is well pleased. That, 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 that brook that he crosses there, that, that it speaks of there, that's the brook Kidron. That's the brook Kidron. When I was looking at that back in John 18, they, the commentators were saying that, but I didn't see much to it. But now I see it, and what they're saying there, and, and what it speaks to my heart there is that he crossed that brook. When they, when they finished the, that last supper together and left Jerusalem and went into the Garden of Gethsemane, they crossed over the brook Kidron. And it's a black running brook. It's a filthy brook because of that olive oil press that's there in that Garden of Gethsemane. And it, it flows with the, the, the refuse of those rotting fruits and things like that. And it's, it's black. And he crossed that filthy brook, and it's a picture of what our Savior did for us. In, when, when the Father made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And, and remember, when we looked at that in John 18, it says, He went forth, your king, 
boldly, triumphantly, gloriously went forth, stepped over that brook, knowing what waited for him on the other side, didn't hide himself, went and faced the enemy, faced Judas the betrayer, faced those that were come out to arrest him, and he said, if it's me you seek, let these go. And he delivered all his sheep, every one of them, present, and you to this day, and as many as shall come that the Lord our God saves. All of us were delivered, and he went willingly to the cross by himself and obtained eternal redemption for us. And because of that, the promise of the Father to raise him from the dead, he did it, to lift up the head. Christ is the head of his body. That is the head that was lifted up and exalted and raised to the right hand of the throne of God who sits on God's right hand and and intercedes for us. He intercedes for us, brethren, and, and, and your God loves you and receives you and hears your prayers and answers your prayers for Christ's sake, our King and our God who triumphed over all our enemies gloriously. Gloriously. And so... He's accomplished this for us. When he saw Mary Magdalene and, and, and she, she touched him and he said, I have an errand for you to go tell my brethren. He said, you tell them, I ascend unto my father and your father, unto my God and your God. He's speaking as our mediator, as our high priest. And he brings us into the presence to address him as Jehovah God and he receives our worry, receives our prayer, and answers our prayers. So he did this. He says in Hebrews 12, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And so, brethren, our God has provided for us. He's given to us his precious son. He's the chief cornerstone. He's that the, the head of the corner who makes the foundation and the, the, the chief stone for the building. He, he's upon that whom that building is founded. Without him, there's no foundation. Without him, there's no building. Without Christ, there's no salvation. We have nothing. But because of Christ, we have everything. The temple has been raised up in three days. He's built it again, and he's adding to it such as should be saved as it pleases him. As it pleases him. And so, our God receives us for Christ's sake. And for Christ's sake, he hears you that are poor, you that are broken, you that are sinful, you that have nothing, you that have no righteousness, you that are troubled, you that are weak, lame, blind, ignorant, broken, the Lord receives his people who are base and cast off by this world. And God delights in us for Christ's sake, Christ's sake. So don't keep your prayer Bottled up to yourself, breathe it out to your God. 
Breathe it out to him. Pray to him. Seek him. He hears your prayer in Christ, and he proves that he hears your prayer. It isn't always answered the way we think it should be answered, but we pray, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. But he delights to show us that he hears prayer. Pray to him. When he stirs your heart, pray to him. Because he brings it to pass and he shows you how he's done that. He gave it to you and brought you into it in fellowship. And he brings it to pass to show you, to bless your heart, to show you he's the God who hears your prayers. Now, in closing, David contrasts what we have in Christ from what the wicked have. Now, this is important. I want you to understand this because these verses used to trouble me greatly. Greatly. In verse 4, back in Psalm 5, 4, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. What he's saying there, because I used to look at this and I was troubled because I could see sin in me, and I was very, very troubled, as we should be. We, we shouldn't delight with, with, with sin in our members, but it is present there, and we do see the, the, the weakness of this flesh, because we're saved in hope. In hope that maketh not ashamed. And so, what he's saying there is those who try to worship God outside of Christ. Those who would come to God without Christ. In their own works, according to their own ways, they are wicked. That's what God is saying here. That's what the Spirit is teaching us. They are workers of wickedness, and God despises the workers of wickedness. Paul would call them enemies in their own mind by wicked works. And that's what we were. We were workers of wickedness until Christ saved us and delivered us and turned our hearts, our minds, our thoughts upon him who leads us into the presence of our God. And so God has no pleasure in man's sinful, vain Ways that he that he works to try to come into the presence of God by his righteousness. And then he goes on to describe these workers of wickedness as foolish. Verse 5 and 6. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. They, they can't stand because they have no anchor of the soul. They don't have the anchor which is Christ. So they can't stand in God's sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou hatest all those who would dare come into your presence outside of Christ, without Christ as their Savior. Thinking that they could just waltz on in there, despising Christ, thinking lightly of Him, and just waltz on into the presence of God according to their good works. If you remember Esther, the king would not put out the scepter for them to, to approach unto his throne. They'd be put to death. Because they try to come in their own works. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. And what he's saying there is when they pray to God, they speak leasing. Leasing means lies, falsehood. Everything coming out of the mouth of those who think they can please God by their own works are liars. And they're speaking falsehood. That's what he's, this is exactly what he's emphasizing to us. It's not because we see sin in our members. We come in Christ, and all who come in Christ, God receives you. 
You're his child. You're blessed of God. Received of him. He hears you. He hears you. You're, everyone else is coming in filthy rags. Filthy rags that are not righteousness at all. But that's not you that believe. Verse 7. Last verse here. But as for me, I will come into the house, into thy house, in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. We're coming in Christ. We come in the Savior whom the Father hath sent, whom the Father delights in. Him who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's how we come to the Father. Apart from him, no man cometh to the Father. No man cometh. So we're going to stop in verse 7 because really you can read the, the rest of this, this, this psalm at home and it's just a repetition where it's just emphasizing again and again of those who come in Christ versus those who don't come in Christ. And those that come in Christ are received of the Father and heard of the Father and they that don't are not heard of the Father. And so here's the clear outcome. I'll quote it to you. 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. It's that simple. That's what's being taught to us here by our high priest here in this psalm. That's what he's showing, showing you. So rejoice, brethren. You have an high priest who leads you into the presence of Jehovah God who hears your words who considers your meditations and who hearkens to the voice of your cry. Amen.